I got to get the get get the camera guy happy. Am, am I good? That thing, which way? This way. All right, and I'm good, and I'm far enough back from the speaker. Wonderful. All these rules and <laughs> positions and. You never know what to do, what not to do, or it's it's all good though. It's it's important because I I, um, I everything I used to do was was in person, right? And then this thing called COVID happened, and it forced us to step back and do things virtually. And so now I'm stuck in the virtual and the physical, you know, the physical world and the virtual world. So I'm back and forth all the time. So it's always, you know, getting used to how, you know, how you got to stand in the physical and, but to accommodate everybody in the virtual because the virtual is still important. It's, it's still uh, a vital thing. And, uh, you know, so I want to accommodate both of those things. I was speaking all day yesterday, so my voice is a little, a little, uh, a little sore. But I just recently I was having some problems with one of my molars. And and it was starting to get sensitive to cold and sensitive, you know, just sensitive all the time. And so I brought it up to my hygienist when I was in getting my teeth checked and cleaned. And and she gave me some practices, some things to do to to kind of help it. And so I did those and it was working fine. But then the pain started to increase, it started to get a little bit worse. And so I did what any you know, red-blooded man would do, I just put it off, pretended it didn't happen, you know, just kind of, it'll take care of itself, right? Any guys in the house that are guilty of that? I got one brave man that put up his hand. But, so I just put up with it, and it got worse. And, of course, it got worse over a weekend, right, when you can't do anything. So it started to get really painful on a Saturday. Sunday, it was like anything that went into my mouth was just setting it on fire. It was just so painful. So Monday morning, I called, I, I called the dentist, explained what was going on. The receptionist said, we got it. I just had a cancellation. Can you come in right away? And I said, of course, I'm there. So I went in sat in the chair, told the dentist what was going on. So he tips me back and he says, let's have a look. And he's looking around and didn't see anything visible, didn't see anything out of the ordinary. So he said, let's take an x-ray just in case something's changed since the last time you were in. So I said, well, that makes sense. So he takes the x-ray and comes back in, looks at the x-ray and he says, no, I still don't see anything out of the ordinary. He said, let's have another look. So he sits me back in the chair again. And this time he takes that little mirrored instrument right? It's an innocent little thing, right? He took the butt end of that instrument and he tapped it on the molar behind, beside the tooth that was bothering me. And he said, any pain there? I said, no, there's no pain there. And he tapped the tooth at the front, in front of it. He said, any pain there? I said, no, I said, there's no pain there. Then he tapped the tooth that I was complaining about. I said it was the butt end of the mirrored instrument. It may as well have been a hammer because that's what it felt like when he hit my face with that. The, the pain shot up through my face and it actually kicked my feet up off of the chair. I did not realize until that moment that the nerves in my teeth are connected to my feet. I had no idea. Any medical people in the house, did you know that the nerves in your teeth are connected to your feet and can make you react? And, and so I, I say that to say this, that... You know, sometimes things come into our lives and they don't always come out the way we think they're going to come out, right? Sometimes things will come into our lives and we just kind of bury it, we just kind of push it down, but it can kind of manifest in a different way, right? We can get, uh, you know, maybe we're upset with somebody at work or a boss or somebody, right? And we come home and what do we do? We take it out on the kids or we take it out on someone else. 
or we get upset with ourselves, or we're frustrated with ourselves, and we, we just take it out on the world, right? It, so the pain that comes in sometimes manifests in different ways. And I want to tie that into our story that we're going to have a look at Nehemiah this morning and just rebuilding the wall. And they, you know, they're in exile again. Israel's in exile again after, you know, this is a common theme, right? They're in and they're out and they're, they're back and they're forth. They're all over the place. And, and so they, they're, they're in exile. They're all over the place. The, the, the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and Nobody's really inhabiting, nobody's really looking after it, and people are all over the place. And then Nehemiah gets word of it. Well, Nehemiah is way far away. He's like almost 1,200 miles or 1,200 kilometers away, and he's got a good position. He, he's he's kind of, you know, the king's aide, like he's the, the cupbearer to the king, right? So he was putting his life on the line every time the king wanted a glass of wine. He was the one that drank it and tasted it. Sound like a good idea, but if there was some you know, some conspiracy going on and somebody was trying to take out the king, well, they're going to take him out first, right? So, so he was, he was the, the cupbearer. He was the wine taster. He was looking after the king in that sense. But he got word of this. All this distance away, he got word, and it hit his heart. He's 1,200 kilometers away, and what had happened to Jerusalem, what happened to Israel, was affecting him. It was painful to him. And this is where we're going to pick up the story and just read a little bit of the, um, just kind of setting the stage for it. And I'm not sure if we got those or not. Oh, we do. Look at that. Technology is a wonderful thing. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hen and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God in heaven. So the first thing that we saw that, that happened to him is that he heard of the, you know, the, the position, the, the condition that, that his people were in, and it just grieved his heart. And so the first thing he did was just pray, right? He just, he just sat down and just prayed and meditated on it. Next, we find that in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artexius, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This could be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. So he, he found that he had great favor with the king. Right? At first, he was afraid to ask for anything. I mean, how dare you look anything but uplifting in, front of the, in the presence of a king? And the king said to him, he said, well, what do you need? 
And that was a great opportunity for him to step in and say, this is what we need, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm believing. But instead, he prayed, and he asked God, okay, what should I ask for? i gotta, I got to make sure that this is right. If I've given permission by a king to ask for something, i gotta, I got to ask the right stuff. So he told the king exactly what he needed and, and, and expressed it, and the king, the king gave him everything that he needed. He gave him letters so that he could get himself through all these things. Because remember, that's a 1,200-kilometer journey that he's got to now make to, to rebuild these walls. And it's not like you and I. I mean, we can hop in our car and we can do 1,200 kilometers in what, 12 hours or less? Whereas them, by horse and buggy and walking and you know, using their unicycle, they're not getting there as quickly. So 1,200, 1200 kilometers and, and all the different regions that they would have to go through, they needed permission from the king to get through them. So the king pr- provided all that stuff for them so they could get through all these different areas. And even gave him letters so that he could take trees, take stuff out of the, out of the king's forest so that he could use it to rebuild the gates. Once they got there, it, it wasn't something that he could just kind of walk into because all of a sudden it's like, well, who are you? Right? So the king appointed him actually as governor. He, he gave him authority and made him governor of the, of the area so that he had a little bit more leeway. He had a little bit more connection. He had a little bit more clout. He had a little bit more standing with the people. But he still went around at nighttime checking things out, scouting out what's going on, looking at the damage that's been done. And reading and researching, it, it, it talks about at least 10 gates, 10 gates that go into, into the city that were destroyed, which would have been, you know, probably hundreds of meters of damaged rubble of the, the gates. There was about four or five kilometers all the way around. That's how long it was. So it spanned quite a distance. So all the gates were burnt down, so they needed new wood to reconstruct it. The walls had been torn down, so they needed to restack it. Now these walls were, some, in some places, they were like 12 and 14 meters, so 30, 40 meet, feet high, and about 8 feet wide. What's that? About 3 meters. I'm trying to do conversion for both of us, for those that speak metric and those that speak imperial. And so it was not like there were just little hedge walls you know, around a property. They were substantial walls. And so after he scouted it out, he started to work with the people. He started to build the relationships back. He started to make connections with people and started to encourage them to start stepping up to rebuild the walls. But it wasn't without opposition. As we read in chapter 4, it said, when Samballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah and the Ammonite, who was there at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down the walls, these walls of stone. So they were getting ridicule from outside and from inside. It was building, rebuilding these relationships with, within as well as without. It's one thing to have opposition outside, right? Imagine in the church, you know, we, we wanted to do this roof. So imagine we had opposition on the outside. It, that's the one thing. But inside, if we couldn't agree and we couldn't come together, it would be a, a tough challenge. 
And so this is what they found, that he had to rebuild the relationships. He had to restore that. He was connected to God in a way, 1,200 kilometers away from Jerusalem. He was connected with God in a way that it brought tears to his heart. It brought tears to his eyes. It brought tears to him. We're used to doing everything in threes, right? We have past, present, and future, right? We have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Everything that we, a lot of things that we do are in threes. And even, even with, this is where the, this is where the board comes in. I know you were wondering when this came in. So even here, we have our relationship with God. We have relationships with, with people. And we have our physical, we have the physical, right? So relationships, we understand that part. We relate with one another. We have families. We have friends. We have people that we relate and stuff in. We have our physical world where, you know, places that we live, our jobs that we do, the things that we own, the things that we buy, the things that we get, and so on. This, this is our physical world. And when these things are all in balance, everything works well. But when the relationship between us and God gets compromised or closed off, the relationships start going a little bit south. They're, they're a little bit complicated. When, when we concentrate more on the physical side of stuff and not tie it up to God, then we can be so f- focused on that rather than focusing on God. And what was happening with Israel through their, their history was they were doing well when they stayed connected with God. But once they started to grumble amongst themselves and say, we're better off on our own, we're better off doing our own thing, and they broke that communication, we broke that relationship with God, that's when everything started to go, started to cause problems. That's when they started to have problems, relationally. And so the restoration needed to happen between them and God, as well as the relationships with each other. We can do the same thing. We can become so focused on working hard to get things, to acquire things, to build things, to you know, build our careers and do all that stuff, that we can sever relationships. And sometimes we can step ahead of what God really wants. We can say, well, I know what I'm passionate about. I know what I'm good at. This is what I'm going to do, but not bring God into the equation. And when we do that, we separate from God, and we don't have the real blessing of God to move forward. When Nehemiah went to the king and explained what was going on, the king found, he found favor with him because of the relationship they had. And because of that connection with God, he was able to ask exactly what he needed. And then he got favor, he got permission to do all those different things and start moving forward. I'm cheating and moving over in my notes. So we find them rebuilding the wall, but as they're rebuilding the wall, they needed to rebuild the relationships. When they're trying to fix the physical, they notice that the relational stuff was b- destroyed and they needed to rebuild that, but they also needed to rebuild the connection with God. When you and I come to a point in time in our lives where, where things are struggling, it's oftentimes because we've cut off that communication with God. Imagine if here in the church we needed a roof. And everybody's like, yeah, we did. We did it. We needed a roof. And it was, it was obvious that we needed that roof. We needed that roof in the physical. And we went to the relational and we just said, okay, those that are connected to us, those that are connected with us, we need to 
come together. We need to band together. We need to draw together to pull our resources, to start to come together to see how we can do that. But you're also wise enough to pray and ask God for direction in that whole process. Imagine the struggle of trying to raise $2 million without the grace of God to help you through that process. That's why I really appreciate the wisdom of the leadership in this church because they don't, they haven't disconnected themselves from God. They still turn towards God and asking for direction, asking for their, for, for leadership, asking for the direction. And through that, it gave you opportunity to see favor with so many different organizations, so many different people, so many different associations in their communities. If we would have tried to do that all on our own, imagine the difference that it would be. I would suspect that we wouldn't have the same relational connections that we have with one another because we would be so focused on the physical. Because if we don't have God as a source to turn to, then we just have one another to turn to between the physical and and the relational. And that's where the tensions come, because we can't solve everything. Jesus in Matthew said, seek first what? The kingdom of God. He didn't say, seek first your career. Seek first the things that you want to buy. Seek first the house that you want to own. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Why was that? Because he recognized that that staying connected with God, God already knows everything that you need. God already knows the things that he's put in your heart. God already knows the plans, the purposes that he has for you. It's not up to us to figure it all out. We can stay connected relationally with God and enjoy a clearer sense of direction. It's when we, we take it upon ourselves and say, well, I know what I want because I'm good at this. I want to go here. I want to do this. I want to be that. And this is who I am. Instead of saying, God, you know my gifts and my talents. You know the things that you've called me to be. Show me where I'm going to go. And then all of a sudden now God can direct us into the, into the physical. He can direct our paths. He can start to lead us. And that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah had it in his heart. God placed it in his heart to rebuild the wall because he saw the brokenness of his, of his people, of his ancestors. And he lifted it up to him first. And as he lifted it up to him, God, would, God said, then this is what you need to do. And this is what I'm going to bless you to do. The other three that we live in, is, is, is the person that we are, the person we think we are, and the person that God says we are. That's another three that we live in, right? There's the person that we, that we, that we believe we are, the person that we project, the way we dress, the way we represent ourselves, the way we talk, the way we communicate, the relationships we build. It's based around the person that we believe that we are. The more that we believe of ourselves, the more connected we are to who God says we are, the better the connections, the better relationships, the better everything we have. So we have the person that we are. Then we have the person that we think we are. Right? Sometimes inside we can think we're something else, or something different, or something more. Good or bad or indifferent, we sometimes have a different view internally of who we are. But it doesn't necessarily come on the outside. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we're too shy, we're too reserved. We think, well, who am I to really project myself as being you know, an authority or an expert or you know, more compassionate, more empathetic, whatever it is, right? We can hold those things back. So even though there's something inside us, we think, this is who I am. We don't express that or we don't show it on the outside. So the person that we are and the person that we think we are. 
And then there's the person that God says we are. Because God has called us all, and he has equipped us with, with unique gifts and talents, with a unique combination. Even though we all are flesh and blood, we all have DNA, we all have minds, we all have the ability to think, each one of us are, are wired differently. Like even after this talk, if we interviewed, if I interviewed each and every one of you, each person would come up with something slightly different of what they took away from today because we're uniquely different. So our responsibility is to do the same thing, is to tie ourselves to God, connect with God in such a deep relationship that we understand who we are and that we can begin to express that and walk that out and have complete confidence in it. I think some of the problems in today with, 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 with culture is that we're afraid to step up. We're afraid to be who we're called to be. Because that's the other part of it is with relationships, we sometimes value opinions of people rather than opinions of God. Sometimes that will keep us back from being the full person that we're called to be. Because we're afraid to step out because we're afraid of what others might say. Well, what if I help this person and support this person or encourage this person? What are others going to think? What if I do this, that, or the other thing? What are people going to think? I had a situation where I was driving around town. One of the things that I've never liked is seeing uh, young women hitchhike or looking for rides on the side of the road. Back in the day when I was younger, people used to hitchhike a lot. Now you don't, you don't see that. We seldom see people on the side of the road doing this anymore, right? Occasionally you might see it going north on the Trans-Canada Highway. You know, people trying to go west or trying to go east. You might see the occasional person hitchhiking, but they don't do it as often. But back in the day, they, it was quite a common thing. You know, somebody wanted to go to Kitchener, they just stood out in the corner and put out their thumb, right? That's just the way they did it. And I always disliked seeing a young girl hitchhiking on the side of the road. I remember a couple of times I turned around and went the opposite direction to pick them up to take them where they wanted to go because I just didn't like to see that. In the recent years, I was coming down from my house, coming downtown, going someplace, and there was a young lady standing at the side of the road, just at the, at the intersection, and as I pulled up, it was kind of raining out, and, and she kind of looked at me, and then she smiled, and she gave me one of those, those weird smiles. And I thought, you're not looking for a ride. You're looking for something more. And, and I went home, and I said to my wife, I said, would you be upset? Because what went through my mind is if I pick her up and offer to give her a ride, and, and it turns out that she's soliciting and not really looking for a ride, that could put me in a, in a you know, a kind of awkward position. And what if I got caught? What if it was bait? You know, what if she was an undercover police officer just trying to, you know, get guys and catch guys? What would happen? So I went home and I said to Mary, I said to her, I said, if I was caught for being suspected for soliciting, would you believe my story? And she said, absolutely, I would believe your story because I know your heart isn't to pick up someone for any other reason than to help them and support them. But oftentimes, that'll keep us back from doing stuff. Because I had to sit in that situation going, do I pick her up? Do I offer a ride? It's pouring rain out. She's a young girl. Do I? But there was just something in me that said, no, just keep on driving. But I thought, you know, so often we get into those situations, don't we? Where we're afraid to step out and be the person that God is calling us to be because we're afraid of what other people will think of us. The confidence to, to, to walk out as the person that we're called to be is to have that relationship with God. Nehemiah had the confidence because he had that relationship with God. 
Nehemiah was able to carry out what he was, was, what he was called to do because he had that relationship with God. He was able to inspire and encourage and, and motivate the people because of that relationship that he had with God. It was the anointing that was on his life that, that, that caused those people to gather around him. In my research and looking at this, it took them 52 days to complete the restoration. But there was only mention about 40 some odd people, plus maybe some close associates. So it wasn't like there was tens of thousands of people to do all this work. There might have only been several hundred of people to do all this work in 52 days. We've seen construction going on in our city where they tear up a block of a street and it takes them a year to complete it. So imagine the motivation that it would take to encourage that few people to build those walls, those gates, to get things done. It was the relationship that he had with God that allowed him the favor, that allowed him to, to step forward. And you and I, I believe that we would be able to go so much further in life if we first focused on this relationship. Right? If we focused on this relationship with God first, we would have more favor in our lives. We'd be able to walk in more authority, more confidence. And who doesn't need a little bit more confidence? It doesn't matter what age you're at. I think there's all, all of us have areas in our life where we could use a little bit more confidence, a little bit of more assurance. And there's only so much that we can muster up in our own. Right? There's, you know, the old expression, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Well, you can only pull the boots up so high. And then you need to have something external come in, and that's where God comes in. That's where that relationship comes in. Remember Matthew. If you remember nothing else, remember what Jesus said in Matthew. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. Seeking him first, that relationship first, will open up the doors for all the other things. I don't believe that God wants us to, you know, be in lack or be in need or be in, in, in dire straits. But it's the severing of these relationships and the focusing on the other. When we break this relationship off and focus only on the physical, what we're saying is, God, I don't need you. There's no room for you. I can do it on my own. And if we've ever said those kind of things to ourselves, we need to really have another look in the mirror. And have a look up and just say, you know what? I was wrong. I need you. Church, we put a roof on this building. Do we need God to continue to bless us and encourage us and support us and open up opportunities for us to pay this thing off and get this thing completed? Absolutely. We know that there's only so much resource that we can do relationally to, to accomplish the physical. But there's so much more that we can do when we, when we connect with him as the source of our strength of our motivation, of our provision. There's so much more that we can do with him. So putting God first is the first thing to do. And as we put God first, there's a point where we need to repent. We need to ask God forgiveness for times that maybe we've taken over and tried to drive our own, our own bus, trying to do things on our own without him where we've severed off that relationship and said, you know what, I've tried it God's way, I'm going to do it my way. And there might be a point where we need to go back and repent on that and just say, God, I, forgive me. I got it wrong. And as we ask for forgiveness, he, 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 he will forgive us and, and restore that relationship. It'll take a while for that to begin to get momentum and see some fruit come out of it. And, and we... we 
Accomplish that by prioritizing every day. Making Him a priority every day. Make seeking Him the priority every morning. Making Him the priority when we go to deal with business or go to do whatever we do throughout our day. Seeking Him first and allowing the kingdom of God will advance it quicker and farther and faster and easier than any other way. Does that make sense? I see some heads nodding. So uh, let us let 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 me encourage you. How much more time have we got? I forgot what time we started. We started at ten o'clock. He's he's lying to me. In other words, he's trying to say, "Shut up and sit down." Well, let's let's just take some time and pray. Father, we're we're thankful for the lessons that we can draw from Scripture. We're thankful for what you did in in Nehemiah's life, Lord. How all that distance away. You, you tugged on the strings of his heart. And not only did you tug on the strings of his heart, but you, you, he, he, he answered. And he, he looked to you first. He didn't just get word that the wall was broken and run out like a madman to go and fix it. He was methodical. He thought about it. He prayed on it. He meditated on it. He listened to you. He, he sought you. Lord, may we be a people that, that seek you first. And I ask that you would come, and Lord, that today as we turn to you and ask for your forgiveness, we ask that you would restore that relationship, not only the relationship with you, but the relationship with others that we, that we share this existence with on earth that you would begin to restore those relationships in a supernatural way, in a way that only you could do. Only you could have accomplished what was accomplished in those 52 days. Without your grace, without your strength, without your wisdom, without your guidance, without you, it wouldn't have got done. And there's things in our lives, Lord, where we've tried to take the reins and we've tried to make things work in our family lives, in our business lives, in our home lives, in our relationship lives. And Lord, we just need to come and just lay it all at your feet and ask for your forgiveness. And we do the same as, as Nehemiah did. We just think. We think now and listen to what it is you're saying. What are the next steps? Israel had a history of falling in and out of relationship with you. Everything was great when they honored you and, and, and blessed you and, and offered the sacrifices and gave you their tithes and did all the stuff. But then something came along where they started thinking they would do better on their own, and that's when things got dismantled again. And Lord, even looking at our own lives, we can see different stages and points and times in our lives that perhaps we have tried to do it without you. So, Lord, come and work in our lives. We ask that you would come and continue to work in this church. Lord, we lift everything up to you. We say without you, we were just another building on a corner. But you set us apart. You make us uniquely different. And we commit everything that we do in these four walls. We commit to you. Our finances, our resources, our community, we lift everything up to you. And Lord, we make it our purpose 
to prioritize our days around you, to seek you first. Meaning that we're going to be open to what it is you're saying to our hearts. If there's a neighbor that we need to speak to, a friend we need to call, uh, someone we need to visit, someone we need to help or support, God, we want to seek you first. And we know that and we trust because we've seen the, the records through Scripture that when we seek you first, you are faithful to provide all that we need. So Lord, we come and we just give you thanks for this word. Thank you for this example through Scripture. And Lord, we just commit to making you our focus and making you our priority. In Jesus' name, amen.